we have to be careful not to just treat the MRI. We have to treat our patients. If you want to support your body and your mind and your health, you have to support your structures. And what's the most rich, important component of your bone is the marrow. And what's in the marrow are most of your healthy stem cells. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 198. Oh my gosh, of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren. We are so close to 200. Tuning in from Maryland, joined by my sister, Renee. Let's hey. hoping you're going to wear pink today, Renee. Sorry, I'm boring. I have a pink light, but a black shirt. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, we match. Yeah. We match. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thanks. What's happening? Okay, so not really a pop quiz of the day, but you just came from the Health Span Summit where you were post-moderate raider, moderator, right? Extraordinaire? Moderate. Moderator? Sure. So I wanted to know what the biggest takeaway from the weekend was for you. Because you got to experience a lot as being someone with a, a microphone and around all the experts, like in the hot seat. Now, you put other people in the hot seat, but you were uh, yeah. the driving force of the hot seat. <laughs> What'd you learn? Yeah, that's a great question. Gosh, the I mean, the whole weekend was kind of like a whirlwind of three days. I think the biggest takeaway was I just thought it was really a unique health conference in that of course, we talked about the basics, the nutrition, the exercise, the stress management, but there was such a big percentage focused on social connection, community, building relationships. And and we've said this before, we've been to other conferences and we're like, that's the missing piece. I mean, of mm -hmm. course, we're here in community at the conference, but we're not really talking about what that's doing. And there are people even showing research on like the Harvard study that has been running for I think 80 years now. I mean, they're act they have actual research showing what happiness and joy and social connection are doing to our health. And yeah, a lot of a lot of speakers just talking about that. Oh, and then digital, digital wellness was a really big thing. Like, how can we use technology to help our health and not hurt our health? Because we're not going to just throw all of our tech out. But so how can we use it to our advantage? Yeah, it was a unique conference. I loved it though. I love that. And the synchronicity that's coming up for me is I went to Portland over the weekend and browsed through this amazing kind of historic bookstore there. And I was so, I guess not surprised, but um, I was fascinated at how many books that kind of jumped off the shelf at me about dopamine addiction, tech addiction, what it's doing to our brains, how it's it really is the same as an addiction and what it's doing to our, our happiness or our mindset. I don't know if there actually yeah. are more books about it now or if I'm just more tuned into it, but that was, I walked out of the bookstore. I was like, wow, dopamine. People are mm. talking about this. I feel like it's a bigger conversation now, but yeah, it's probably like the red Ferrari where you're seeing it everywhere. There was mm. actually a, one of the speakers, 17 year old kid wrote a book about dopamine. I think it's called dopamine detox. I'll double oh, check wow. the book. I'll link to it in the show notes for anyone that wants to check it out. 17 years old. And he's already aware of how the technology has disrupted his life negatively. And so he's speaking out to that generation saying, guys, we need to wake up or we're going to be really screwed later on in life. So can mm -hmm. you imagine that 17 being so forward thinking? Like, I, oh man, the kid was so impressive. That is super impressive. Oh, well, I really love that I was infiltrated the conferences and summits. And I think there's such a ripple effect, right? So it's like, it's being talked about there. It's going to be talked about in so many other capacities so quickly, I think. So that's really, that's the power of community. You said that's important. That is our community. And the more we can talk about the stuff, the more education we get. And I think that actually helps us transition into today's topic, which is about regenerative medicine, which I think not enough people are talking about. And our guest today is a board certified trained neurosurgeon 
Yeah. So he started out in conventional medicine and now he's practicing regenerative therapies because he saw how much benefit it could offer to people before getting on the surgery table. So I think in some cases, surgery is necessary, but he really wanted to take a holistic approach and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to support all of our environmental and nutritional inputs, lifestyle inputs, and have that be a last resort option, knowing that it really is saving a lot of lives. But what can we do so it's not first resort? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love his approach. I think, yeah, surgery is there when we need it, but there are just too many people feeling that that's their only option. And they're not looking at, am I eating an anti-inflammatory diet? Am I moving every hour? Am I sleeping in a good bed? Like, I mean, there's just so many other things we need to look at before we look at surgery and even all the regenerative medicine stuff, the stem cells, the exosomes. It's really an exciting time. We have so many options today. And I share in the episode, like in 2001, when I had my back injury, there was no discussion of any of this. Mm-hmm. It was like, you need to fuse your spine or you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. That's what the surgeon told me. I was like, how is that my only answer at 13 years old? So yeah. And the number of times I've been offered a cortisone shot is the only solution. And I think in some cases it is, but temporarily. Are- Temporarily, yeah. But now to know that there are other things coming um, into accessibility and becoming less and less ex- expensive too, right? Anytime something is yeah. new, it's it's insanely expensive. And as time goes on, accessibility increases and cost comes down. So I think that's a really something to look forward to in this space. Okay, so Dr. Jeffrey Gross is the owner of Spine and a regenerative medicine practice called Recelebrate is seeing patients in Orange County, California, and in Henderson, Nevada, as well as remotely by computer video conference. In his practice, he offers specialized precision and concierge treatment options for patients with neck and or back problems, as well as brain and head injuries. He provides a comprehensive approach to evaluating the pain generators of the spine and associated areas, and digs deeper to find the source of the problem when identifying the root issues of persistent pain and injuries. Dr. Gross employs regenerative medicine and other non-surgical options first and foremost. He is internationally recognized expert in these fields. As a leader in the fields of neurosurgery and stem cell medicine, he commonly treats other physicians and many patients with severe and complex spinal problems. He continually strives to find non-surgical treatments to conservatively assist with resolution of the problems he identifies in each of his individual patients. In the event that non-surgical treatments are found to be inadequate, he approaches treatment options from the least invasive surgery first. Because of his methodology, he is frequently sought out to provide second opinions prior to many surgeries. He has authored numerous book chapters, medical journals, and is in the process of completing his first book, Young Again, a practical how-to to take anti-aging action for anyone. Dr. Gross has written and spoken internationally on regenerative medicine for the spine and anti-aging. He's been awarded top doctor and best neurosurgeon awards. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Gross is doing amazing work. And if you want to learn more about his extensive background, you can check out his website, recelebrate.com. He's just doing amazing things. And if you are dealing with any chronic pain or anything that you really resonate with this episode about, reach out to him, tell him, say, Lauren and Renee sent me. He will do a virtual consult with you to figure out, do you need to come here? Can he recommend something you can do locally? Like he just is so genuine and he has this amazing mission to help people. And I think you're going to love this episode. Let's bring him on. Welcome, Dr. Jeffrey. And I love your name. It says the stem cell whisperer. Welcome stem cell whisperer to the Biohack Babes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're super excited. This is a, a new one for us, a new one for our audience, but I'm particularly excited as someone who had surgery and was not convinced that I really needed it. So just really thrilled that there are so many regenerative options now that you're practicing. And I think there's a lot to dig into today. But I think as a jumping off point, I I found some stats before the podcast I thought were interesting. I would love to hear your take. Sure. So I have read in the US, global estimates suggest that close to 313 million surgeries are performed annually with 500,000 lumbar spine surgeries each each year, up to 80% of spine surgery patients experience post-surgery discomfort, and 20% will experience persistent post-surgical pain. Those are some pretty astounding stats. So I'm curious, from you, how often are we doing unnecessary surgeries? Well, 
that uh, the word unnecessary might be a little too harsh, but dramatic. I can, I can be dramatic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that that surgeons are generally well-meaning, um, but what happens in this world is uh, patients come in with pain, and they have usually failed non-surgical treatments like injections, therapies, medicines, time, what have you. And then the surgeon is says, well, then we're left with surgery. There's nothing in between there. Well, hopefully after today's podcast, people will understand there is now something, another step, another tool before surgery. But surgery was the only thing left. And unfortunately, a lot of these surgeries were done probably overly based on the imaging, on the MRI, and not on the patient. So um, and yes, many of the fusion surgeries, the bigger open spinal surgeries, and I do come from spine. That is my my prior life to some extent. I still do it. Um, uh, a lot of these fusion surgeries with me- metallic hardware and implants and stuff did not leave people pain free. You know, we're looking for significant benefit, but that doesn't mean people don't still have symptoms. So there must be something better. We've been looking for that something better. And I think we have some options now. Mm. Kind of like Lauren said, this is also a very exciting topic for me personally, because how many years ago? 23 23 years ago, I ended up with two stress fractures in my SI joint, uh, herniated disc at, I think, L4, L5, and S1, something like that. And the surgeon wanted to fuse my spine at 13 years old. And my parents said, we're going to find another way. So I did. At the time, there wasn't what you're doing, at least not that I was aware of. So I did chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, PT. I did all the things and um, didn't end up doing the surgery. But I think it's so exciting. We have more options now. I wish it was here 23 years ago, but grateful that it is here today. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, great. I'm, I I like uh, pushing the envelope here. Um, I've been, we've been, you know, just skirting the edge of these regenerative options here in this country for a long time in some ways. And our bodies have had this healing potential. And I know we'll get into that, I hope anyway. But uh, we've been disadvantaged in Europe and other places. They have been doing this for closer to 20 years. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. So what is the delay yeah. in the U.S.? Uh, I don't want to find myself uh, buried in the desert, but uh, regulatory um Big pharma, big implant companies, politics, government, money. Mm, okay. Our so- shocked faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The U.S. can be a little slow with things sometimes. But hey, we are where we are today. Um, so I'm curious, what do you see as like the biggest drivers for people even needing surgery or needing some kind of treatment? Like what is what is causing all of this chronic pain for most people? Well, we expose ourselves uh, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly to stresses. And those stresses can be physical stresses like athletics. Uh, These days, uh, younger kids are suggested to get in sports, keep themselves busy, stay away from distractions, get a scholarship. So we push them, we push them. There are food. Our food is, uh, as I know you have spoken about this before, you know, what's in our food, (laughs) you know, uh, what what goes into making our food in terms of uh, processing and and then of course pesticides and things our water supply you know uh, new, you know our nutrition has been leached out of of our food source you know our protein we're probably not getting enough protein and the protein we do get is probably not the highest quality anymore for the same reasons we do not get the proper supplements we're exposed to electromagnetic uh, fields all the time this is called a smartphone. I'm sure everyone has them that you know. (laughs) And um, that's just an example. I mean, there's more and more, you know, with the internet of things, all our devices in our home are connected to the Wi-Fi and, you know, my robot vacuum and my, uh, my ceiling fan now are work off an app. So there's, there's all this. So we're exposed to all these things and um, we degenerate. Um, Our life expectancy in, in this country is, although not the best, it's it's really fantastic. You know, men live to an expected age of around 79, women to about 81, 82. And we're pushing on that. So we do accumulate inflammation over time. We do age by this process. So people have issues, they have problems, and they accumulate this these problems. Yeah. So 
would you say that inflammation or inflammaging is really the end product that leads us to potentially having a diagnosis for surgery? I, I do. And I love that you know that word because you're absolutely right. Inflammation is aging. It's Age is the accumulation of chronic inflammatory changes at the cellular level, at the body level, the organ level. And, and those, those affect structures, including joints and the spine. And it, it, it leaches, it, it negatively impacts our, our own stem cells, which we'll talk about. It negatively impacts our own joint hydration and what we call viscoelastic properties, the squishiness of a disc or the flexibility of a joint. And as those degenerate and stiffen, then, then we, then that, inflammation does take us to, oh, I've got a knee pain. I've got a knee problem. I have trouble getting out of a chair and that gets treated. And eventually, potentially, there's a surgical recommendation, knee replacement, spine fusion, what have you. Yeah. 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 It just, you, you mentioned so many variables that are in our control, out of our control, but of the ones that are in our control, I think movement is a, a probably top of that checklist, but I think people struggle with how much. What's too much? What's too little? Somewhere between, you know, people can get injured from not moving. We also get injured from moving too much. So what do you think we're missing or what do we not know? What have we not gotten right about the movement piece? Um, well, I think, you know, if you compare what we do now to what, what we did physically two decades ago, most people have access to a better understanding of how to do things mechanically correctly, aside from maybe some some of the CrossFit activities, although that's great because that's high intensity and that's really what we seek. Uh, interval high intensity is probably one of the most efficient ways to, to benefit from exercise. But if we overstress a joint, then we get the benefit of the movement and the exercise, but then we also get the detriment to that joint. So we have to work within that. So if we're younger, we can probably do more. And if we're starting older, you know, if you're in your fifties, like me, and you know, if you were a couch potato and you're just start, like, I want to start a health journey and I want to biohack and I want to have not only longevity, but health span, I want to have healthy longevity. You have to be really careful getting into that exercise regimen. Yeah. Training age, I think is something to really consider. Not, not a lot of people talk about that, like meeting your training age. Yes. Yeah. Age appropriate. Act your age, including your <laughs> exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I want to act younger than my age. What? No. Uh, I oh, love that you just- You can work up to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that you just said health span. I actually just got back from the health span summit and I had the opportunity to moderate a panel called exercise for longevity. And it was such an interesting conversation because it wasn't just like working out to lose weight. It was like, you know, and we talked about age appropriate exercise, right? Someone that's 60 is not going to do the same thing as a 20 year old. Um, right. Definitely an interesting conversation around the longevity health span piece. I could not agree more. You know, people ask, well, what's the, what's, give me one quick tip. What can I do to reduce inflammation and, and, and support longevity? And it's probably exercise, proper exercise. Uh, it, the, we're now learning the, the Alzheimer's prevention, the number one thing you could do simply. There's, there are more things, but would be an exercise regimen. It's it's incredibly anti-inflammatory if done right. It stimulates bone density, which and muscle mass. Bone density and muscle mass are the two uh, correlated contributors with uh, lack of longevity. Uh, better the the bone mass, the better the muscle mass. The longer the healthy longevity. Mm -hmm. and, and you think about it. You go to a nursing home and people that are close to um, you know leaving this earth and they usually are wasting they've lost they have no good bone density they've they've wasted away they've lost their muscles particularly if they're not using them so if you want to support your body and your mind and your health you have to support your structures your bone and your muscle and what's the most rich important component of your bone is the marrow and what's in the marrow are most of your healthy stem cells. So if you want to support your stem cells and and act and be and be younger and live longer in a healthy way, support your structure, exercise. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to jump in the stem cell pool with you. This is <laughs> going to be really good. But I 100% agree with you about movement, and that's our background. We were dancers. I became a personal trainer, and it's always at the top of my list. But I think just to offer some opposition, we have a 98-year-old great aunt, never exercised in her life. She still 
very mobile. She hurt her knee a couple of weeks ago. And so she was temporarily in a wheelchair and she was so insistent on getting out of that wheelchair because she knows that if she stayed in it, she wouldn't be as mobile. So she was like, I got to get up and move and like work my muscles. So this is someone that never exercised, seems to be thriving physically. So obviously there's other pieces to the puzzle and we all have our own kryptonite. So I guess what's the number two under movement? Uh, it would probably be, um, you know, the right nutrition and protein would probably be number two. Um, and that's that's a combination of eating your colors, eating your fruits and vegetables, eating healthier proteins and avoiding as much processed food, sugar, which is an incredible inflammatory toxin, um, as you know, especially plain sugar, cane sugar, all the all the sugars. We need we need the the longer term carbohydrates and grains that take time to digest if we need them at all. I mean, you think about it, carbohydrates are really a food of convenience. Um, yeah. you know, you take a sandwich, you pack it, you got your lunch for the day, whatever. It's the, the yeah. carbohydrate makes it simple and convenient to eat what's in between it, which is usually the protein. So um, if if we were to focus on the diet aspects of health, food is medicine or helps us avoid pharmaceutical medicines if we eat right on a chronic basis. Yeah. Uh, on top of eating a healthy diet, I'm curious, do you ever recommend certain supplements for patients like chondroitin or MSM, like anything like that? I, I do. So I've, I've branched into a bit of anti-aging longevity medicine and people will come in and we'll do uh, you know, a whole survey. We'll, we'll talk about their sleep, their breathing, their, their exercise, medical issues. If they're present, uh, we'll talk about aches and pains and we will get into uh, their supplement game. I, I got to tell you in medical school, they do not cover vitamins and supplements much. There was a little thing on vitamins, you know, and the the RDA, which is the side of the cereal box, um, when it says, oh, you're getting 50% of your vitamin you know, D for the day. Well, that number, that percent of a number is the number that keeps you from being malnourished. That doesn't mean you're optimally nourished. So yes, I, in short, I do support um, strategic use of supplements and um, adaptogens, certain mushrooms, nootropics, things like this. And we're learning more about this all the time. And it's it's fascinating. We're, we're getting back to the earth and natural things. We've gotten away from it now. We're getting back to it like, oh yeah, that was good stuff. We didn't know why. Now maybe we know why. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Vitamins and nutrition certainly getting spotlighted more and more. So you talked about supporting our natural stem cells. So we have stem cells. What happens as we age? Does it so, drop off? What are we seeing over the years? Yeah. No, you're right. Um, just as our own cells face inflammation and degradation and degeneration, our stem cells are affected too, and their activity slows and the circulating number slows and our bone marrow uh, is less robust and less dense. You know, if I can make a analogy I've made before, if uh, if you have had children or nieces and nephews, you know, the three, you have a three-year-old, they're playing outside on the sidewalk, little boy scrapes his knee, crying, mom, my knee, right? You clean it up, mom puts a Band-Aid on, kisses it, off they go, right? A couple days later in the bath, the Band-Aid comes off and the scab is almost completely healed within a few days. Whereas, uh, you know, I bump my arm and I've got a bruise for two weeks, well, how come I can't heal like that three-year-old? I've got, I'm made up of the same genes and and cell types as I was, you know, a three-year-old. How can I heal like that? And and the thing is, we have the blueprint. We have that. We can, but we need to help our stem cells and we need to tap back into their youthful behavior, their restorative, uh, healing, efficient, and, you know, in some sense, anti-aging, because we have seen evidence of biological age reversal with uh, enhanced stem cell activity. So we want to tap back into that. And that's what we're doing. Because yes, our stem cells do, are subjected to age-related inflammatory and de degraded changes. Yeah. Yeah. So what exactly are you doing in your practice? Is it stem cells, peptides, exosomes, all of the above, break that down for us. Yeah. So we, you know, everything's precise for a person, personalized medicine. You know, we, it might just start with someone eating right, exercising, right, taking the right supplements, 
getting the right mindset, you know, uh, all the above. Uh, and people who need extra help or are on the higher end of the biohacking spectrum, like me, uh, then we turn to regenerative medicine to help. So if I can go a little bit backwards and explain some of the regenerative medicine for everyone, if that's okay. Yes, please. Great. Regenerative medicine comes really in three main flavors. The first basic level is called PRP or platelet-rich plasma. And that's where someone takes the blood out of you, spins it down in a centrifuge and takes out the plasma layer, not the red part, uh, not the white part, but the plasma layer where all the growth factors get concentrated because we have circulating growth factors and things. And these are proteins that are, you know, communicated from cell to cell to help enhance things. They're the good stuff. And if you can concentrate that and put it back like in a tennis elbow, and usually that's done over two or three periods to, it takes to help heal, then people get benefits because you're you're jazzing up the healing activity in one spot. And that's cool. And you can do that. Um, that is, none of these are FDA approved, including PRP, but that's well accepted in the community. You can go to most docs, orthopedics, and they'll do it for you. So that's not new. In fact, there's there are cosmetic uses, right? There's something called the vampire facial, where you do microneedling <laughs> and you, you put the PRP in the face. It's also done for hair, hair restoration um, because it's got the good growth factors. It probably has some exosomes in it too. We'll get to that. The second flavor, if we're moving up the ladder, would be stem cells. And you can take your own stem cells, or someone can do it for you, although it's no fun because you have to have them harvested out of your bone marrow, and that hurts. Mm -hmm. And they're concentrated and then put back in you, whether it's into a joint or near a joint or some other place. And that's called autograph because it comes from you. It's, it's, it's of yours. Now, I'm 57, and if you take my bone marrow uh, stem cells and put them back into me, they're 57. So, if you know, concentrating them in one spot might help, like the PRP, but really it's the same. It's like you're changing your oil with the old oil. So, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, the other source of stem cells are you, know, you think about, well, I, how can I get that young three year old stuff or even younger so I can heal faster like a three year old? And, and it's called perinatal source. And these are ethical. They come from what used to be medical trash, medical waste after a C-section. So mother delivers the baby by C-section. Here's your baby. Congratulations. Can we keep your trash? It's now treasure. They take the amniotic fluid. They take the placenta. They take the umbilical cord. Uh, they can uh, concentrate the fluids down. These are FDA compliant labs that prepare these materials, they screen the donors, they test them, they make sure everything's safe. And that's the source. We call that perinatal because it's around the time of birth source. So we can get stem cells and we can get exosomes. And that's exosomes is going to be the third flavor. And I'll talk about the difference. If, if you'll let me keep rambling on here. Yeah, it's perfect. This, keep going okay. up the ladder. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Now, stem cells are great. They They help significantly. A lot of people go out of the country for stem cells. Um, uh, in, in fact, you know, 15 years ago, professional athletes would leave this country and go get them. They would go to Europe or Central America or Panama or Costa Rica, or now Mexico. You, you can go and get these and they can advertise and, and bring people in and they do plenty of stem cells and, and they have a lot of experience, but, um, and it's because of the regulatory environment and what have you. So, you know, if it's good enough for Peyton Manning and, Tiger Woods, why can't we have it, right? Um, you know, we may not get paid that much, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's it's becoming more and more available. There are many more companies and labs that make this available. So you can get that here in the U.S. Um, now, as I mentioned before we went on uh, the air here, um, uh, none of these are FDA approved. That doesn't mean they're disapproved. They just haven't been fully adjudicated yet. And and what's what the FDA... Uh, regulates is claims. So I, I'll say it here now, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again until the regulation changes. Uh, I can't make any claims that anything we do with stem cells or exosomes treats or cures a disease or condition as defined by the FDA in the United States government. Uh, do we have uh, great stories anecdotally and results and, and science to back this up? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely. Uh, am I an end user of these as well? I am. 
and maybe we'll circle back. What's up, biohackers? Have you been seeing red light devices everywhere and thinking, why would I need a box that shines bright red light? You may be thinking, our ancestors didn't use these fancy light boxes. And you are correct. So what has changed and why do we need them? The answer is mitochondrial dysfunction. Our modern world and lifestyles have become quite toxic. We are constantly being bombarded by environmental stressors, poor stress management, and we're being undernourished by a less nutrient-rich food supply, which is causing a breakdown of optimal mitochondrial function, which is responsible for our energy production. Some of the classic signs and symptoms of mitochondrial dysfunction, which I think a lot of us have come to believe are normal, include fatigue, poor endurance and recovery, weakened and vulnerable immune systems, digestive issues, chronic muscular and joint pain, vision problems, headaches, migraines, nausea, loss of appetite. Now, I know these sound all quite dramatic, but I think we all experience experience them on a small scale throughout our lives. These are all downstream effects of modern living. Now, the first step towards optimizing our mitochondria is to reduce exposure from these environmental stressors like commercial household and beauty products, toxic chemicals in our air and our homes, poor air quality, mold mycotoxins, also underlying infections, and nutrient deficiencies. But once we can optimize our nutrition and exposure, it is time to turn the lights on with red light therapy. Red light therapy, also called photobiomodulation or PBM, utilizes specific wavelengths of light to affect our cellular health. As LightPath LED founder Scott Kennedy says, red light does one thing. It helps the mitochondria produce more ATP energy, and from there it creates a cascade of effects. There seem to be endless benefits that red light can bring to the human body. New studies on PBM are emerging every single day, but some of the well-known benefits include faster wound healing, better circulation, stronger vision and ocular health, improved mood and energy, optimized fertility, and definitely less pain and inflammation. Some people believe we should consider red light a nutrient, and when combined with near-infrared light, it can penetrate deep into our cells to support the nervous system, organs, muscles, skin, and so much more. There are a multitude of red light devices on the market, but we encourage looking for high-quality bulbs, efficient power output, focused beam angles, I know that's a fancy one, and specific and varied wavelength options, plus, very important, decreased EMF production. This is why LightPath LED is our chosen device because they check the boxes on all of these very essential variables. We cannot recommend this company more. And personally, I really don't go a single day without using my LightPath device. So if you're curious and interested and you want to check out LightPath, you can go to lightpathled.com. That's www.lightpathled.com. And you can check out their new diesel line, which is a really incredible pulsing light. Some really cool benefits there, which we've talked about on our Instagram. So head over there, check out the benefits. But you can use code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 10%. That's LightPath. LED and code biohacker babes. All right, enjoy the red light and let's get back to the show. So let's get to the third flavor, the exciting flavor, at least in my mind. So it turns out if you deliver stem cells, they don't last all that long, but the benefit does it can last weeks and months and it could cause the type of regenerative and restorative change that is even more lasting, right? If you have a torn ligament and you use stem cells to help heal that ligament, because we do heal ourselves. Um, and once the stem cells are, are out of your system and you're back to normal operating mode, you may already be healed and you don't have a problem. So sometimes all you need is a boost. But if these stem cells don't last so long, how does their benefit continue to last? Well, it turns out stem cells are only part of the recipe. Those stem cells, and actually all our cells for that matter, give off little communication packets called extracellular vesicles or for cute exosomes, E-X-O-S-O-M-E-S. An exosome is about 50 to 100 nanometers in diameter, and cells are measured in micrometers. So in other words, nano is 10 to the minus nine of a meter. Micrometers are 10 to the minus six. So it's a thousand times smaller than a cell. An exosome is smaller, and cells can give off thousands of them. And stem cells are giving off a, a signal you know, a degenerated cell might give off a degenerated signal, but stem cells give off a youthful, healing, restorative, regenerative signal to neighboring cells and our own st sleepy stem cells. So I use exosomes to activate 
stem cells in within within someone. I use them to activate the health and benefit and anti-inflammatory reparative mode of our own cells. Because we do have inflammatory things going on, especially as we're accumulating that, but we also have repair. We have DNA repair. We have telomerase, which helps our telomeres, which is an you know, an age marker of the DNA. Uh, we have all kinds of reparative uh, enzymes. We have we have cells that are on the, they're called zombie cells or senescent cells. They're, they're kind of just taking up space and using resources, but they're not doing it. We want those to go away and get redigested. And that's called autophagy. To do that, we can now receive, these labs can prepare just the exosomes. And the other beauty of it is they can concentrate them down so that if you've got a dose of stem cells, it has some exosomes and they give off exosomes. But now we can just get the exosomes more concentrated as if you're getting multiple doses of stem cells at one sitting. So the exosomes are quite good. Plus, wait, wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> exosomes are small enough to travel to into the nervous system through what's called the blood-brain barrier. The stem cells are not very efficient at getting into our brain and spinal cord. So I have a patient with recovering from stroke or uh, issues related to uh, quadriplegia, paraplegia, something like that, some kind of spinal cord issue. Exosomes are probably more efficient in delivering the type of cellular activity to the existing cells because they send the signal, the wake-up signal. Each exosome is a small bit of membrane like a cell. It doesn't have any DNA. Typically, it has some small RNAs called microRNAs that tell our cells what good proteins to make. It has growth factors and proteins like heat shock proteins, survival proteins. and, And if you know anything about hormesis, and you probably do, if you expose your body to light stresses like sauna, cold plunge, fasting, it releases these survival proteins and they are anti-inflammatory and and good for our cells. So exosomes are chock full of these things. So therefore the third and final step of regenerative medicine, the the current kind of best in class are exosomes. And we're going to go further from there. We're going to have designer exosomes. You know, we're talking already about uh, CAR T cells and induced pluripotent stem cells going backwards with certain uh, factors called Yamanaka factors. Those aren't commercially available at this time. Okay. Okay. Sorry. That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, I feel like what I'm really hearing is that we're supporting the body to do its natural healing process though. Right. That's why you can't say exosomes cure this or whatever, like most biohacking things, right. We can't make claims, but we're supporting the body to do what it already knows how to do and heal and rejuvenate. Well said. I, yes. That was the easy way to say it. <laughs> oh, no, you said it. I just compressed it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So the biggest difference between the stem cells and the exosomes, exosomes are smaller. They cross the blood-brain barrier, and they're a signal that carries genetic material. Would you say that? Is there? They, they carry some microRNAs. They don't carry DNA typically. Um, they also can be delivered in a more concentrated way. And there's some evidence that they last longer than stem cells. Hey, biohackers, it's Renee, and I've got something life-changing to share with you. Sleep is crucial for our productivity, well-being, and beauty, of course. No one wants to wake up with those dehydration lines and dark circles. Seriously, beauty sleep is a real thing. So Sleeping Beauty totally knew what was up. (laughs) So picture this. You wake up feeling refreshed, your skin is glowing, and those pesky dehydration lines and dark circles, nowhere in sight. Sounds like a dream, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not only possible, but it's also within your reach. I think we've all experienced a poor night of sleep, whether you struggle to fall asleep or you're tossing and turning all night, and I know it is beyond frustrating. And then I discovered the ultimate secret magnesium. And not just magnesium, but magnesium breakthrough, and it completely transformed my sleep. Now, not all magnesium supplements are created equal, so don't waste your time with those over-the-counter magnesium options. You want to do something like magnesium breakthrough, which actually combines seven different forms of magnesium in a single capsule, giving you the full-spectrum magnesium experience you need for optimal results. So here's my nightly routine, which I've been following for a few months. I take two capsules of magnesium breakthrough about an hour before bed, and then I find that I drift off faster and I enjoy deeper, more rejuvenating sleep. 
when morning comes, I'm ready to conquer the day. So say goodbye to restless nights and unlock your best sleep with Magnesium Breakthrough. So are you ready for the exclusive limited time offer? Visit magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. That's mag like M-A-G for magnesium. So magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes and enter the code biohackerbabes10 at checkout. Remember, this offer is only available on the special website. So definitely scroll down to the show notes to find the link. Again, magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. All right, let's get back to the show. It's just so cool how the bar yeah. just keeps getting higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, how are we delivering the exosomes? Is that a... IV or is it the local injection? So it, you know, it depends if you're biohacking, uh, if you're want to talk about anti-aging benefits, uh, uh, you know, at least cellular rejuvenation. If you want to talk about dealing with, uh, helping to deal with autoimmune issues like, uh, various arthritis, Lyme's disease, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, generally IV is the way to go. If you have something very specific like a knee problem, you're trying to avoid a joint replacement, uh, you have a degenerated disc in your spine, then we would treat that directly by injection. Um, if it's if you're trying to restore your hair, you have thinning hair, then we would inject it into the scalp, for example. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming cool. they always work systemically, but to get a slightly better benefit you would inject locally is that what you're saying yes we want to concentrate it locally not unlike the prp was used um if you know for dealing with a joint or something like that we really want them uh most of the effect there but you, you're right they're so small they are you are going to get some systemic effect cool yeah. so for something like spinal health so many people have herniations impingements at what point do we bring in the exosomes, like how far do we have to get along the degenerative line for these to be helpful? And is there a point where they're not helpful anymore? Uh, potentially, you know, it, it depends on the individual. Uh, if it's, if it's, let's call it, you know, spine pain with degeneration without nerve involvement first, um, then we have evidence that uh, we can stimulate the stem cells that exist in the bone marrow above and below the disc. And those are the cells that give rise to the health of the disc. They make the cartilage proteins. They support the disc. And this comes from some really great literature from a Dr. Hernagau in France, who has over a 15-year follow-up. That's right, 15 plus years. And he's published this, and it uh, he did it in the knee. And they, they compared injecting the actual knee meniscus. And we can use this as sort of a parallel to the spinal disc. So they injected the meniscus in some patients, and in the other patients, they injected the bone above and below. And these were patients who already recommended knee replacement. And they said, hey, I know you need knee replacement. Would you like to join our study first and see if we can avoid that? And they have plenty of people sign up. And at the 15-year mark, and they publish every five years, they've been tracking these people. The patients with the bone injection above and below, where the bone marrow was stimulated, had significant benefit compared to the joint injection, the meniscus injection. So we're doing that in the spine. We're just translating that over to the spine. And in the Hernagau study, after 15 years, 85% of patients still did not need to go back and talk about a knee replacement. In wow. the joint injection, they were down in 20% range, 20 or 25%, as I recall, uh, meaning 75% then, then had a knee problem again, it wore off. They had benefit, but it wore off. Wow. Of course, you'd say, well, can they go back and do it again? And of course they could. It just wasn't part of that study. So we're applying yeah. that to the knees, to the spine, to the hips, to the shoulders. And um, we've been doing that now for a few years. So I'm starting to accumulate um, MRIs of people who we've done this on just to see. And we do have instances of regrowth of cartilage in the knee. And we're, we're trying to duplicate that same in the spine. Now, there's the other group of patients who you started your uh, question with, Lauren, where they have nerve involvement, impingement, herniated discs. The exosomes won't necessarily make that go away. And that might require something small, just a little cleanup, and then deliver the exosomes. But hoping we can avoid all these big fusion surgeries with screws and rods, unless someone absolutely has a loose spine or a massive trauma or something. Like we started this podcast there's probably overutilization of those kinds of surgeries. 
they're well-meaning, but if we can reduce the need for that, then I think we're onto something great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I, I think my surgeon really was just doing what he thought was best recommending for me to get my spine fused. And, um, I'm just kind of grateful that my parents thought to look elsewhere, but, but I'm sure he thought that was the best option. And he actually said, he said, if we fuse your spine, you'll be out of pain. You'll have no more pain, but I also wouldn't be able to do ballet anymore. Cause he says, I wouldn't be able to turn my spine the way that I would need to for ballet. So for me, that was the reason to not do it. Um, right. But, but I know it was probably, you know, he thought the best option and actually interesting story. So our dad, he needed double knee surgery. Uh, this was, I don't know, Lauren, gosh, 30 plus 40 years ago. I don't even know if we were born yet. He decided I'm just going to get surgery on one of the knees and see Uh how it goes rather than going in for both. And, you know, and to this day, he has more pain in the one that was operated on than the one that wasn't, which is so fascinating. But granted, that was 40 years ago. I don't even know what the surgery was. Yeah, well, interesting. he's the poster child for maybe we should reserve these bigger surgeries till people are just absolutely can't function whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you see a lot of these like post-surgery patients? That's a big part. Yeah. I do. I just want to add to that. So he just got a, a full body scan and I hope I'm relaying this information correctly, but I think they found some calcification in the knee on that one that he had surgery on. I'll have oh. to fact check that with him, but yeah. all right, dad, let us know. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. So what else, what else do we need to know about exosomes? Do we feel like we well, answered that? To clarify about the spine. So if it's a a herniation without an impingement, could the exosomes be helpful? Or once that disc is ruptured, bulged, kind of spilling out, is it too late? So we're learning about this. Um, it, if there's nerve involvement, for example, and the, the, the nerve down the leg is causing all kinds of trouble, I don't see, at least acutely, the exosomes taking away that physical problem, even if it does help restore the disc. So. If there now you you created a scenario where you said there's some kind of protrusion or herniation of the disc, but there's no nerve involvement. Yes, I mean if the protrusion is just there and it's not causing nerve involvement, I might look at the MRI, look at the patient, and see if we can use exosomes as an option. It's a simple option to try. If it doesn't work, there's always surgery, so we're trying not to do surgery. Yeah. So why not mm-hmm. try this? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. And I guess on the topic of pain, which is just a very interesting topic because pain doesn't always mean there's a physical problem, right? Correct. The, like the brain telling us there is some perceived threat. How do you address pain in people that are coming in and, and kind of, uh, I guess, determine is there actually a problem, whether it be structural or at the joints, or if it's just a trauma response, maybe it's nerve. I feel like there's so many options in that bucket. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think my job coming from, you know, the background of, of a spine doctor is, is to leave no stone unturned for a physical source first. Knowing in the back of my head, of course, there's always a psychological component of pain. And I try to address that component if, it's, if it seems to be a factor, but I still want to make sure there's nothing physical. So we can do imaging, we can do t- examinations in the office, we can do test numbing blocks, like going to the fuse box and turning off a fuse and see which lights go off in the house, right? You, If you can numb something in the back for a minute, it's likely that that thing you numbed is where that pain's coming from. So we try to pin things down. And I, I am lucky to have plenty of what we call pain management colleagues in the community here that we tap into and ask them to do these blocks. Because I don't want to treat something with exosomes. Well, wait, sorry, I'm not treating uh, KCFDA. Supporting? I don't want to help support someone's help, the benefits, unless I know where that pain's coming from or what we call the pain generator. And sometimes it's more than one spot. And there are rare patients where I can't find the pain generator. And that doesn't mean those patients need surgery, but it means we, we've done all the tests and, and we, we've double checked and everything, then, then maybe there's not a physical source of pain. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The pain blocking is... Fascinating. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's rather practical, right? If you, if you, if oh, yeah. you might have patients that come in with MRIs that have multiple disc 
this don't look right. They have protrusions or degeneration or something. And the patient may not be able to pinpoint exactly a pain throughout my low back. We may have to go block each one at a time and see, oh, maybe it's two of them causing trouble. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's none of them just because it's on the MRI. We have to be careful not to just treat the MRI. We have to treat our patients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've heard you talk about the importance of core strength. And I, I think for me, like one of the reasons I hurt my back was because I had very strong quads, uh, weak hamstrings, amazing abs, but no like core strength. So maybe you can speak to like the importance of that and what we need to do. It's not just about like crunches in the gym. Like how do we actually strengthen right. that core to prevent these back injuries? Right. So um, the first and most important thing is to understand what the core is. And it's it's a ring of muscle groups that go around the middle of the body. It's not just the abs. And most people, when you say core, they think abs and they go do the mm -hmm. crunches and they end up actually more out of balance. Like you were saying, you had a muscle groups that were great and muscle groups that weren't, and that could have led to your injury. So in fact, my patients with back pain that need to rehabilitate their muscles in the back, I almost want them doing two or three times as many exercises for the back part of the core compared to the abs. Because if you overdo the abs, you're actually putting an asymmetric stress on a disc that, that we don't want for the lower back. So, and then, and, you, and then it's doing the right exercises because I've, there are tons of physical therapists and chiropractors in town and across the nation. I say in town because we're in the same town and, and we know what they are. There are lots of them. And some of them do good rehabilitation where they look at the muscles and they build what we need to build. And some of them just don't. They like, oh, here, here's a good, get on the treadmill, do this exercise, but, you know, tighten your core while you do it, you know? And what do people do? They tighten their abs. But and that's okay. <laughs> like, what we, does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, uh, 10 seconds later, you forget, and you let the abs go. But um, I think it's really important to work all the muscles of the core. And then I want to highlight my friend, the transversus abdominis muscle, if, if you'd let me. Uh, this is a this is a shameless plug for this muscle. The the ab muscles, as you know, that make the six pack go up and down. They're called the rectus, uh, meaning the straight muscles. They go up and down. And, and, you know, they have those little lines in them um, to make the six pack or eight pack or whatever pack you're looking for. And there's a, there's a muscle behind those muscles that goes crossways called the transversus. Transverse, it goes cross. And that's, that's the muscle that lets you suck in your belly. Okay. That is a very underutilized, but so crucial, important muscle. It is so under acknowledged. That is the muscle that helps our intestines work better. It's the muscle that helps our lung function uh, and works with the diaphragm um, for proper breathing. And as you may know, we have to fill up our lungs. We have to do our yoga breaths. We have to tap into that immune tissue at the far corners of our lungs that don't always get inflated. And that's why deep breathing is very good. It settles the brainstem and, and excitatory brain activity. And we need that yin and yang in our in our existence. So we're, you got to work the transversus abdominis just by sucking it in, sucking in your gut, holding it after keeping it tight and relaxing. It's a simple exercise. You can do it while you're sitting in your chair and mm. it's part of the core. And I think it, it gets missed a lot. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it definitely does. I used to do a lot of TBA testing with clients and I'd have them lay on a blood pressure cuff on the floor and it's like 99% of people would fail that test just because they haven't been taught whether they taught right. bracing or sucking in or just tightening. I mean, it is a pretty higher level skill. <laughs> it shouldn't be super high, but I, just for the audience, if you want to see a demonstration of this, like Googling tummy vacuum is probably the easiest way to get a visual. Is there anything, any other exercise that you're thinking of? I'm not. No. <laughs> yeah. Tummy yeah. vacuum. Good place yeah. to start. All right. I'm working on it right now. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about the uh, <laughs> that blood pressure cuff test. I remember that. I definitely failed. I definitely like, failed. I'm so strong. I'm so strong. I'm not so strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about like back? Is it, it? I'm assuming it's more like laying on your belly, Superman kind of style yeah. back stuff. Superman's bird dogs, um, ah. you know, things like that. If if you go to the gym, they have that little bench that you you fold your body over and then you. Some people hold a weight 
a plate oh, yeah. and they arch backwards. It activates the paraspinal muscles in the lower back, the, the pillars that go along either, either side of the spine. We like to work the obliques in the back, not just the front um, as well. You know, uh, there's a lot more talk. I mean, I'm, I'm not a trainer. Lauren can probably say much better, but about uh, uh, doing ab exercises when the muscle is not, it's called um, not concentric, right? It's not contracted. So, so the opposite of crunches, right? Maybe you're like hanging upside down and you do a sit up or dragon flags. Ooh, what what's is that? that? Ooh, dragon flag? You lie on your back and you hold onto a pole behind you or something, a piece of exercise equipment in the gym, and, and you lift your body up. Uh, so your shoulder blades are resting on the ground and your head's resting on the ground. And then you slowly lower your body as slow as you can go take as long as you can. And that is uh, a really great way to work your, your rectus, more the, the, the ab muscles. And if you add a twist or an angle, you can get some of the obliques in really good. And then planks. Oh, yeah. And then planks are amazing. Side planks, front planks. That yeah, I love that one. We actually, in ballet, we used to do, um, you would lay on your back like that. You would hold the ankles of the person standing behind you and they would push your feet. Yes. That's you, that's similar to this. Yes. Okay. You do that too. Yeah. You have someone just throwing you down. I hated you, that because it'd be like working my neck muscles and my hip flexors. <laughs> I'm like, I am not engaging my TVA right now. Well, <laughs> I would say another one that's underworked is the lower abdominals. Yes. I, I find people don't isolate those enough and they do fatigue pretty quickly. So putting them at the end of your program, but. And how do you such, do that? It's such a small movement. I mean, everyone's obsessed with doing big movements like the sit up or the reverse crunch, or I love the dragon flag or flag. Uh, dragon flag. Yeah. Dragon flag. Never heard of that. It, it's, I no, think it's it, one of Bruce Lee's favorite exercises or something like that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Ah. Yeah. Love Bruce Lee. Like a ninja. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lower abs would be a much more subtle exercise. So generally laying supine, knees bent, feet flat, and you would pick up your knees and do like the tiniest little rock. So your lumbar comes off of the floor, but nothing more. It's like, it's way smaller than people want it to be. Hmm. All right. I'll have to add that in. This All is right. a challenge talking about exercises on an audio cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can go to YouTube and see me like waving my arms around, but that's about it. <laughs> Doing crunches with our fingers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm curious, since you are a biohacker, that's actually how we first um, heard about you through the biohacker university. Do you have any favorite, I would say biohacks that people can do at home for any of this stuff? Sure. I mean, besides adding the exercise and, and, and modifying it to be more efficient, right? You don't have to exercise hours a day. In fact, you don't necessarily have to exercise every day, but a couple of fun little things. Uh, go for a walk after you eat. Try not to eat after dinner time. You want to spend more of your time in catabolism that's burning than you do in anabolism that's put, putting sugar and putting stuff into your cells and growing. And that's why I think intermittent feeding, some people call it intermittent fasting, is, is fantastic. I would lean towards a keto-style diet. Make sure you get enough protein. Uh, a starter pack for your supplement game should always include fish oil, vitamin D, and probiotics. Probiotics are amazing in their um, anti-inflammatory capabilities. We learn nothing about this in medical school where I went to school. And uh, I'm learning about it now. And, and I've seen there's a wonderful science there are roles in all kinds of diseases throughout our body. If, if we don't have the right microbiome or the bacteria in our gut, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, other thing, there's a gut-brain axis that they're all connected. Turns out also a lot of the, the berries, berry, berries and fruits uh, are incredible for us. Yeah. Do people love vegetables all the time? Not always. If you're going to just focus on fruits and vegetables, start with the berries Broccoli sprouts would be the way to go vegetable-wise. It has sulfur fane, which is amazing. I would add some some mushroom, maybe mushroom coffee or adaptogens, uh, which uh, which are good. There are good mushrooms and bad mushrooms. Have the good ones. They're out there. They, what they are the bad pretty, ones? Uh, uh, there's some that have toxins. I couldn't name them for you, but uh, ah. uh, there's a lot of work on uh, the ones that are bad for you are not out there commercially. Uh, just if, but in case you're foraging in the wild, you can't just eat any <laughs> mushroom you come across. And then um, <laughs> that's uh, good advice. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, restorative sleep. So I would, I, I want to add back in protein, but restorative sleep, making sure, you know, dark, 
cold room. If you have a breathing ritual, meditation ritual beforehand, turn off your screens earlier. People wear blue blocker glasses. I have some. I don't always wear them. Makes everything look yellow, but uh, it's okay. You know, have your ritual, sleep well, give yourself the right amount of hours, especially if you're exercising and doing all these things. You're to be healthy, your body needs that. It needs that uh, time at night. We have a light cycle and a dark cycle. We release two hormones in that circadian rhythm. In the morning, we release cortisol to wake us up. We see the sun, it gets in our retina, and it stimulates our metabolism. And then at, at night, um, we we release melatonin, and we we don't get we lose that efficiency after puberty. So I do believe in the use of melatonin at night, even if you don't have trouble sleeping. So you don't necessarily need it for a sleep aid. It has other cellular activities that it does. I wanted to add Definitely. though that fruits and vegetables give off exosomes. Uh, cer- certain exosomes that are plant exosomes, but do interact with our cells. They're small enough and similar enough in membrane that they can deliver their contents to our cells. So besides getting the phytonutrients from plants, we're also getting exosomes. So fruits and vegetables have have their thing. Anyway, eat eat right, eat your your food as medicine, try to eat in a narrow window if you can. And and these are simple biohacking steps to start with. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that list. I love it. Sure. I just wanted to circle back a little bit more to stem cells before we wrap up. Surrounding a an exosome injection, actually, first of all, how many injections people get? What's kind of a standard protocol? And how do you prepare? What do you do after? What can you expect? So there's no standard protocol per se. Everyone's different. You know, if you came in and you were 70 years old and you've got aches and pains and you haven't been eating right for decades, you know, one injection is not going to change you significantly. If you come in, you have you're trying to heal from athletic injury, you need to see a boost. If you have an autoimmune issue, you might just need one. If you're anti-aging, uh, you might just do it periodically. I've been doing them every three to four months. You know, I, I get a boost of energy, sleep better, function better. And then it starts to tail off after a few months because that anti-aging benefit probably slows at that point. Anti-aging performance optimization, biohacking benefit. If it's a joint, usually we're just doing one, one, one approach. Uh, you cannot be on anti-inflammatories because they will actually work against this, which is kind of funny, right? Where here we are saying aging is inflammatory and, and vice versa. If we just took ibuprofen, we should be staying young. And it doesn't work because ibuprofen only shuts off one of the pathways of inflammation. Then the cells upregulate the others. Whereas the regenerative approach to anti-inflammatory, anti-aging works on all of them, changes the entire set of cellular pathways to one of restoration and healing. We so you're just talking avoid... about avoiding uh, medications or over-the-counter. You're not talking about nutrient supplements that would support the, the healing Correct. process. And is there any, I guess, disadvantage? Could you potentially click over into a pro-inflammatory state by taking the nutraceuticals and exosomes? Or are they going to support each other? No, Um I think that they're in, they're supportive. Anything that's um, eating right, other things we've talked about today, uh, work well with exosomes. You're eating vegetables; they give you exosomes. Fruits; they give you exosomes. Phytonutrients stimulate the same pathways. You know, it works all the way down to the to the cell nucleus. And if you actually look up inflammation on the internet and go to uh, Wikipedia, it'll tell you the definition of inflammation is an increase in a protein called NF kappa beta. That's what the definition is. So these nutraceuticals and things all work to reduce NF-kappa-beta. Exosomes end up reducing NF-kappa-beta. The pharmaceutical versions don't necessarily reduce NF-kappa-beta. So that's why I would avoid, we we have people avoid pharmaceutical, even over-the-counter anti-inflammatories, but you can do all your, you know, turmeric, curcumin, cinnamon, ashwagandha, all that stuff. Fantastic. It should work along with a regenerative approach to anti-inflammation. Uh, we don't treat anyone with cancer because we don't know enough yet about exosomes and cancer. We don't want to cause any trouble. So you have to be in remission for a while if you have that. Okay. People can have a flu-like syndrome for a day or two. If they have an autoimmune or Lyme's disease, it lasts longer because their body's gunked up with more of these inflammatory signals and proteins. And those have to purge and they come out of the cells and into the bloodstream. 
It's why when you have flu, you have joint aches because oh, you have all these inflammatory proteins gumming up the works, gumming up the joints. You know, we call them arthralgias, joint aches and muscle aches. You feel, why am I achy everywhere? It's the flu. It should be affecting me in my lungs or something. That's why. Um, so people will have this flu-like symptoms for a few days as they purge out and their cells switch over from pro-inflammatory to anti-inflammatory. Mm. Yeah, I hate that achy feeling. Oof. Yeah, but good to know. Awesome. Thank you for breaking all of that down. That's super interesting. Sure. Um, all right. Well, Dr. Jeff, thank you for everything <laughs> you've shared today. If you can leave our audience with one final piece of advice, something they could start doing today to optimize their health, wellness, life, anything. Sure. We all we all sit too much. I've been sitting here for a couple hours already. Um, not for a podcast, but even before, I'll be sitting here later doing work. So uh, we should all get up, move around. We should take 10 slow, full deep breaths, each one bigger than the, the next one. Just take a minute or two, uh, you know, do a little stretch, move around, uh, do the, the belly vacuums while you're doing those stretches, 10 of those. If you just took a few minutes, a few times a day, and then go for a walk after dinner, that would, and you do that chronically, that would be a huge, simple start on your health span journey. Oh, we love the simple free advice. And I love that you said getting up after sitting because I'm looking at you both sitting. I'm standing I'm like, I can't wait to sit down. <laughs> but I think a good balance of both, baby. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, balance is key. So Tell our ahead. audience where they can find more of you. I am. I'm pretty much a novice, but we are trying really hard to put out little snippets of videos on TikTok. And you can find that at Recelebrate, which is the name of the practice because you're recelebrating your rebirth of your cells. So R-E-C-E-L-L-E-B-R-A-T-E. That's also our Instagram. Follow us. We have lots of we have fun and cute videos on Instagram and sometimes some fun information. We also have you know Facebook and LinkedIn. You can find me anywhere there. And uh, currently we're doing uh, most of our work out of the Henderson, Nevada office, which is basically a suburb of Las Vegas. But we Zoom with people. I have people all over the country uh, who have a knee or shoulder or something. And, and we talk to them first. They may need an MRI. They may need something. We, we don't want them coming in and doing all that. But we can set up things where people fly in. We, we can set up an MRI the same morning. Then they see me in the afternoon, what have you. And then we see what they need. Um, we don't approach everyone with exosomes and, and regeneration. We try everything else first. And then we work out a plan that, that's personalized for that person. That's so great. appreciated. Yeah. I love the personalization. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to all of your links in the show notes. And um, I have to say, I love the name Recelebrate. It's just me too. It's did so you, good. So did joyful. you think of that? Yeah, I did. That, I, I love did. It. I, went, I went through a lot of, you know, brainstorming and came up with that and it's been fun. It's a good great. one. Yes. Yeah. So more opportunities for us to recelebrate our bodies. So good. Well, thank you, Dr. Jeffrey, for joining us today. This is such a pleasure. Thank and I know our audience thanks you as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.